0: Welcome in to yet another edition of the Charlie Rhymer Balls in the Air podcast. I'm your most of the time friendly host, Charlie Reimer. Thrilled to be uh, coming to you from beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, we uh having a heck of a summer here. Got a lot of folks down enjoying everything that we have to offer. The beach, all our restaurants and nightlife. Uh, and you know me. Our golf course is right now are in absolutely beautiful shape. We um Need a little bit of rain uh, as we came into June, the month of my, uh, May was pretty dry, but we're all caught up on the rain and golf courses are absolutely wonderful. I, I've been um, on a little vacation and yeah, where do you go on vacation when you live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? But it was a special vacation. My wife and I were celebrating our 30th anniversary and uh, so we got with a uh, couple great friends of ours. In fact, uh... Uh, my buddy, uh, he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding, and that was 30 years ago in June. And so we uh, did a couple's anniversary trip. And hey, the way I figure it, when you've been married for 30 years, you need to go celebrate. And that's exactly what we did. We spent some time out in uh, Sonoma, Napa, and uh, there in Northern California. Never been to that part of the world. My wife enjoys every now and then a glass of wine. I'm not a huge wine fan, but it was very interesting to do some tastings and learn a lot about wine. I have a much stronger appreciation of wine than I did before. And uh, I did learn that I'm not a fan of the Chardonnay. I do like every now and then, especially in the summer when it's cold and the weather is hot, maybe a little sip of Sauvignon Blanc. I hope I said that right. It has a nice taste to it. And uh, I learned that, um, well, the red wines in particular, the cabs, they're pretty darn expensive. So uh, <laughs> we did buy a little bit, had some shipped back, but not not too many of those expensive cabs. But it was a great trip. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, when you uh, have been married 30 years in this world, you need to go celebrate. That's exactly what we did. But I did have a chance to keep my eye on what's going on in the world of golf. And I had a chance to watch some of that U.S. Open there in uh, San Diego at Torrey Pines. And John Rahm, what a story. The uh, last time we heard from John, prior to uh, winning the um, U.S. Open, was uh, at the Memorial. I had the six-stroke lead there right in front of Jack Nicklaus on Saturday afternoon and was pulled off the back of that green and told that uh, he was being forced to withdraw because of positive COVID testing. And uh, he was obviously very devastated there. And uh, it was a little bit of an unusual situation to get told. Um, that you're being uh, thrown out of the tournament because of that test right there in front of the whole world. I think maybe if they had a chance to do it all over again, it might have tried to do that off camera. But there was some question as to whether John was even going to be able to, because of quarantine protocols, be able to tee it up in the U.S. Open. But uh, certainly he was able to play. and, And I just didn't really expect a whole lot from John, even though it's a golf course that that uh, he had had quite a bit of success on in the past, uh, just dealing with that emotion, the quick turnaround, being quarantined for, for the 10 days. But um, he was able to, to uh, get everything back together and uh, close with that four hundred par round there on Sunday, including the dramatic birdies on 17 and 18. Man, those two putts that he made on 17 and 18, wow. Um, th- those aren't ones you would expect to – Make, but John Rahm's not the kind of player that really succumbs to normal expectations. And uh, now he is back to number one in the world, number one in the world for the second time, and and, uh, first major championship. And he's just one of those guys that I remember the first time I saw him play, uh, he was actually still in school at Arizona State, playing in the Phoenix Open, just very comfortable, very confident. Uh, he, he had a run there in college where he basically went the entire season and finished every event inside the top ten I mean just a phenomenal player and I had a chance actually right after he first turned professional um, he was uh, uh, on the tailor made staff at the time and and so was I we were doing um, a little bit of a all oh, sort of an outing uh, type thing for some for some customers down in the West Palm Beach area and and um, actually, Uh, emceed the event and uh, he was there with Dustin Johnson and and uh, as I mentioned he had just turned professional and uh, that was a little bit of an intimidating situation for most humans but John was very comfortable in it and I remember walking away after spending a few hours with him that day thinking I've never seen a player this young uh, that has this much confidence with maybe the exception of Tiger Woods Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to keep an eye on him and um uh, after watching his career develop, what he had done to this point, certainly no surprise that he is now a major champion and a U.S. Open champion, that that golf swing of his. There's just not much that's going to go wrong. You couple that with uh, the confidence that he has, the belief that he has in himself, and uh, really no surprise that he's accomplished what he has thus far in the game. And I, I expect more from him. I, I, it's not going to be his last major championship. The question now is how long is he going to stay number one in the world? A lot of folks shooting at you, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how long he's able to stay there. And um, shouldn't be any more negative COVID tests. I, I think he's now fully vaccinated. So uh, um, John Rahm is a U.S. Open champion. And, and uh, the other uh, thing I do want to mention about that U.S. Open is um, Reese Jones has done a lot of work on, on Torrey Pines, sometimes – Reese uh, catches some criticism and it's a little hard for me to talk about Reese in, in too much depth with too much criticism because he he is a dear friend I, I love him to death and uh, I'm over the years have been able to establish a good relationship with him we talk quite frequently as a matter of fact and and uh, very seldom do we talk much about work uh, he, he's just uh, just a quality person and uh, but if you look big picture at at his uh, career um, very few years go by where Reese hasn't been heavily involved in, in major championship golf, if you look at his redesign work. And, and uh, he's got an impressive list of, of um, original designs as well. And, and uh, uh, was actually just texting Reese last night congratulating him on the event. The USGA needed a non-controversial U.S. Open, and that's exactly what it got. The golf course performed the way it was supposed to. The winning score was at six under. I think everybody's happy with that. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy happened, but the course did uh, provide some uh, drama with a big finish there for, for John Rahm, and uh, the best player in the world won, the best player the, of the week won. I don't know that you can ask a golf course to do any more than that. I want to take a look, too, over at the uh, KPMG Women's PGA Championship just concluded on Sunday at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Of course, I know a lot about having played at Georgia Tech. That was one of the courses that we got to play. A lot of golf on, but I, I certainly never played as well as uh, Nellie Korda played uh, there over the weekend, and uh, Nellie Korda, um, just the third American after the win at the Women's PGA Championship to rise to number one in the world, and uh, as at age 22, what an impressive feat. Stacey Lewis and Christy Kerr, the other two Americans, uh, to rise to uh, number one in the world. And um, Nellie Corda uh, putting together an amazing career, uh, as I mentioned, just at 22 years old. She's played uh, 92 events on the LPGA now, and, and this was her sixth win, of course, her first major championship. Um, she's uh, uh, very athletic, has tremendous distance. If you dig into her stats, uh, she's really good at both ends of the game, and, and I think that's really important and, and uh, both the women's and men's game, you, you just have to drive the ball well. And you have to drive it long, and you have to put it where you can find it. She's 10th in distance. If you look at her putting stats, uh, she's 6th and 12th in putting. And uh, that's a great formula for success. In fact, if you if you look a little bit di- deeper into her stats, the number one stat that's the most important to me, uh, number one in money. And, and that's that's a stat that uh, we all dig into, into uh uh, and what what's a player doing well, and what's the most important um, it, it, that money list? Because the, the bigger the tournaments, the more money they hand out, and the better you play in the bigger tournaments, the more money you make. That's the number one indicator for me. Also, number one in scoring, uh, which goes hand in hand with with uh, with the money. So, uh, uh, amazing player at age 22. We'll see how long she stays atop. top. The um, the world of, of ladies professional golf it's hard to stay on the top of that list. And uh, if you, in fact, if you look at it over the years, it, it's basically been uh, number one by committee. And uh, players tend to have a not a real long run um, at number one. But who knows? At age twenty two, maybe Nellie Korda will stay there uh, quite a bit longer. And uh, the other thing that's really interesting is is uh, the um, ladies. Olympic team for uh, Team USA is is now fully complete. Uh, there will be four ladies representing the USA in the Olympics coming up in Tokyo in, in uh, August, along, along with uh, Nellie Corda. Her sister Jessica will be joining her. That's pretty interesting there to have uh, sisters on the same Olympic team. And uh, the other two players representing the United States will be Danielle Kang and uh, Alexi Thompson. And I always look forward to the Olympics. I was um, very fortunate to be able to go down to Rio and and cover the Olympics down there. Um, it was the uh, first time that uh, golf had been in the Olympics going back to 1904. And it was uh, historic and a real honor and a privilege to be there. I was calling the uh, Golf Live for uh, Westwood One on radio. It was in a great tower right behind... 18 green, and I could see everything. The golf course was a Hansen original design, and and it was really neat to see that. One of the things that I'm disappointed in in the the golf and the Olympics for both the men and the women is the fact that there's no team component. Um, I I really think you're playing for your country. There ought to be some type of team component, um, but there really isn't. It's just 72-hole stroke play golf tournament, and – Three prizes, uh, the gold, the silver, and the bronze. And um, that's uh, unfortunate that we don't have a more creative format for the Olympics. But at the same time, I, I feel fortunate for our game that we do have a presence there. I'm, I'm hoping that if the Olympics continue to have golf, that maybe that format is tweaked a little bit. So we end up with a team format. But either way, it'll be interesting. I look forward to, to watching the Olympics uh, next month or actually in August and uh, both the men and the women and, um, see, see how that develops and, and, uh, uh, very emotional, no doubt about that. Uh, the, the Olympics, whoever wins, uh, sitting there and holding one of those medals with your, um, with your country's anthem playing is a rare opportunity for, for, uh, golfer, all athletes, but in particular for golfers. And, uh, uh, we'll just see how that goes. But once again, Team USA for the women: uh, Jessica Corder, Nellie Corda, Danielle Kang, and Lexi Thompson. Uh, a little bit on the uh, golf that we saw finish uh, Sunday in in Hartford. The Travelers is always one of my favorite events uh, as a PGA pro to play. The crowds were always great, and it was really nice to see um, big crowds out for the for the golf tournament there. And and uh, it's almost like there was two golf tournaments. There was a 72-hole golf tournament. At, 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 and then the eight-hole playoff—really uh, unusual to see an eight-hole playoff—and that playoff was uh, between uh, Kramer Hickok um, and and um, Harris English, uh, excuse me, Kramer Hickok and, and Harris English. And I think at the beginning of the week, Kramer Hickok, who was outside the top 125 FedEx Cup points, you got to finish inside the top 125 to retain your card. He would have been happy to take a uh, second place finish. I think about four holes into the playoff. If you'd ask him that, he wouldn't have been so happy. But, but ended up being a uh, certainly a positive week for him, even though he didn't get that first win on tour. And Harris English, um, who in my opinion is one of the more talented players on the PGA Tour, if you sort of look in his background, he was born in Valdosta, Georgia, grew up there in Valdosta, attended the Baylor School, and. In Chattanooga. Uh, Chattanooga is a place I spend a lot of time. I'm um, originally from that area. In fact, uh, Harris and I are both members at a, at a really neat club there in Chattanooga, the Honors Course, which uh, uh, is absolutely spectacular. See him out there from time to time practicing, along with Keith Mitchell, who's another member there. And Keith Keith's actually had a pretty good summer as well. And uh, But Harris is uh, one of only three players, while an amateur, to win on what is now the, the Corn Ferry Tour. He did that um, when he was playing some great golf for the University of Georgia. And uh, just just a really talented player. Um, He's got four wins now. Um, This is his second win in 2021. 37 top tens in his career. And he's just been a a cash-producing machine. How does he do it? You dig into his... His stats a little bit, very similar to, to Nelly Corda uh, drives the ball really well. One of the one of the stats on the PGA Tour that I think is overlooked is total driving. That's a stat that combines both uh, distance and accuracy. And uh, Harris is uh, ninth in total driving. That means he's putting it in the fairway a lot and a long ways down the fairway, and that really sort of sets everything else up for him. And then on the other end, the um, – Putting stats, twenty third in strokes gained putting, and the LPGA doesn't keep strokes gained stats. The PGA Tour ha- has a system called Shot Link where they measure every shot that every player hits, essentially for the entire season down to the inch, and and so that that allows some more detailed stats for the men than than what we see for the women women. But uh, that strokes gained putting stat, it, it's it's a comparative stat that that. Um, it's not very relatable, uh, to, to the average golfer, but what it does is it compares, um, percentage of putts made from, from every distance, uh, every player to every other player on tour. And, and I think it's one of the most reliable stats on, on the PGA tour, especially among the strokes gained stats and being ranked in the top 25 there. It means that he is one heck of a putter. So, Harris with the four wins now, the the two wins in 2021, back on track. He had a little bit of a of a, of a, downtime there, a little bit of a drought, went seven years without winning until he won at the Tournament of Champions earlier this year uh, out in, in Hawaii. Uh, I think now he is back on track, and it's going to be interesting to see what the next four or five years look like for him. He's moved up to 19th in the world. I expect him to keep moving on up because – uh, you, you win twice on the PGA Tour in a season. You got some more golf left. A lot of things that can be accomplished. Another major with a Open coming up. The FedEx Cup playoffs. He's going to be a player that, that heads into the final part of this season with a ton of momentum. And finally, a little bit of um, chat about this week. Uh, the Rocket Mortgage uh, in in Detroit. Detroit Golf Club. Um, what a golf course that is. It's a Donald Ross gym and uh, doesn't play as a particularly difficult golf course. Bryson won last year at 23 under par. And and the the story last year with Bryson was, remember, coming out of pandemic, he he showed up bulked up, uh, almost looked like a a different person, swinging hard, uh, trying to drive greens, really got a lot of attention from everybody, and he ended up averaging just a little under. 330 yards off the tee last week at 329.8. And of course, he went on to win the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, foot, sort of swinging the same way. But uh, it was uh, the first uh, win for Big Bryson and and uh, definitely got a lot of attention. I think if you look at the field this week, Bryson's not playing his best golf, had a sloppy finish at Torrey Pines, but he comes in as a tournament favorite. And definitely there will be a lot of eyeballs on him because he's one of those guys now that uh, what he's put his body through and bulking up and changing everything, the way he talks about things, the controversy with Brooks Koepka, uh, you, you absolutely can't take your eyes off of, of Bryson DeChambeau. He, I think he enjoys that, uh, and, which is great, and, and uh, he, he tackles this game – in a different way than anybody else. I had a chance when he was just first coming out, right? Right about the time um he was turning pro, spent a little bit of time with him and and um anybody that figures things out on their own, basically invents a new way to play, invents some new clubs uh in 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 their garage. Um you you got to have a lot of respect for him. and he certainly has as much belief in the way he plays the game as anybody I've ever seen. And uh, that gets me back as I wrap things up here, uh, talking about how confident John Rahm was at a young age and how he's performed and having spent a little bit of time with some of the other greats in the game, like a Jack Nicklaus, uh, who I was blessed to spend some time with, Tiger Woods here and there, a little bit of time with Arnold Palmer. These great champions in our game, the one thing they have in common is they absolutely 100% believe in themselves and the method that they use and how they go about playing the game. A lot of times the way they do it, they don't really have much in common with each other, but what they do have in common is they believe in themselves 100%. There's a good tip for you this week. Uh, There's a lot of information out there on how to play this game. If you want to play your best, uh, do a little bit of digging. Figure out um, the type of clubs that, that you need to play that suit your game, the, the type of style that you need to have uh, that, that suits your personality. Figure out a game plan. Stick to it. Don't change day to day to day to day. If you do that, then you have some doubt creeping there and you're not going to play great golf. Well, that wraps it up for the Charlie Romer Balls in the Air podcast. Appreciate you. Joining us here today, as always. Um, please like us wherever you enjoy your podcast. And if you're interested in coming down and seeing us at Myrtle Beach, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the golf courses are in absolutely wonderful condition right now. But please don't just show up at the last minute. You got to do a little bit of planning, just like with your golf game. You got to have a little bit of a game plan and you got to stick to it. So go over to Play Golf Myrtle Beach. Dot com. They'll fix you up with some tea time, some accommodations, all that sort of stuff. We'd love to have you, but we are pretty busy down here. We've got some room for you, but you got to do a little bit of planning. All right, folks, thank you very much. We'll be right here next week with more of the Charlie Romer Balls in the Air podcast.